0: Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. Ephesians chapter 4. We have been in a series that we're doing in Bible study and in here called Aspire. Aspire. It's a 15-week discipleship course. where You can jump in at any time. We're in section number 11 today on the church. and In fact, the next few chapters are about the church and the mission of the church and the strategy of the church. And so that's going to give me an opportunity during this time period to really do kind of a mini-series on the church. I won't be doing verbatim what is in the Aspire study book, but it certainly will coincide with it. And uh, so we begin today taking a look at the church. And let's see, we have a title, The Maturing Church, The Maturing Church from Ephesians chapter 4. I was, as soon as I, I, I thought about this, I thought about growing up and the things that we think about, maturity, um, the things that naturally go on in our mind about that, and I seemed to re- you know something was coming in the back of my mind, a, ki- a kid song, uh, we, we don't want to grow up, or that kind of thing, uh, I, I thought it was from one Musical Annie, but no, it wasn't there. And then I discovered some of you kids know where that is. Parents do too. When you listen to the kids, it, it, it was uh, it was the Peter Pan movie. You know the Hook movie, right? Okay, teachers and the, I. It just and it came back to me. You know we want to be like Peter Pan. We don't want to grow up. Want to stay kids as long as we can. That's our plan. Pretty neat plan. Then when it's time to be a man. We're not going to grow up, going to stay kids like we began, just like Peter Pan. Being a man means you got to show up for work each day with a shirt and a tie. Yuck. Being a man means you got to call up your friends and say, can't stay, got to fly. Yuck. we got to even be a neater plan. Sit down and listen up. We all ought to be like Peter Pan. We don't want to grow up. We never, 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 ever, ever want to grow up. Yuck. <laughs> It'd be better if a bunch of kids were like the wanna kids are up here doing it. You know, that'd be great. We don't want to grow up. Um, but, you know, maybe we say we have to grow up. And I understand the spirit of, of that song and that kind of thing. Most of the time, though, kids... They really do like to mimic the adults that are around them. They, they wish that they could do the bigger things. How many of us have had a, a, a young, young daughter, 9 or 10, and she wants to be 22? You know, boom, just like that. And it's, it's like, oh, there's time for that. And, but uh, they, they really do have this desire to grow up. Somehow, though, something changed. Something changes as we go and get older and older. Maybe we start going back and wishing that we were younger. Maybe we're never satisfied at the age that we are. Some people never do grow up. I've known 60 and 70-year-olds that don't act like they're, they're too grown up. And uh, that's a challenge. Millennials are characterized as those still living in mom and daddy's basement. And I don't know that moniker. It still holds true. I think maybe it's fading away, but you know that failure to launch kind of thing, and they still, oh, you still live with your mom, do you? It's a little scary, isn't it? We want to grow up, but I mean, sure. But it's a good thing to do, isn't it? Hebrews chapter 5 over into chapter 6 says, the writer's there he's speaking to them, and he says, you know, there's a lot of things that I'd like to say to you, but I can't because you've become dull of hearing. Uh, You ought to have matured. You ought to have come to the place where you're able to teach other people and yet you're not. And now I have to go back and teach you the very ABCs of the Christian life. I have to teach you the elementary things. You should have grown up by now, but you haven't. Well, it certainly does beg the question then, do you want to grow up? What does a maturing church look like? What does a mature Christian look like? Or or what does it mean to be a mature Christian? Well, that's what I'm taking a look at today from Ephesians chapter 4. And so if you have a Bible, I'm going to begin, I'm going to take this up in the middle of the paragraph. It begins in verse 11. I'm going to read down through verse 16, and then we're going to talk a little bit about This idea of maturing. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is one of the letters that Paul has written. And um, this particular passage, it's important before we read it for you to understand its context. So there are six chapters in this letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, a major city in the Mediterranean world, now on the western bank of what we know of as Turkey. He's in Rome writing to them. And in the first three chapters, he's given them the gospel. He, he really has. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And he goes through and he gives them really solid, meat doctrine of what it means to be a Christian, how one becomes a Christian, the fact that we were all dead in our trespasses and sins, but God has made us alive in Christ Jesus. He's broken down the wall between people that we can all be one together in the church. So he's given them this solid doctrine, and when we get to chapter 4, Uh, there's a major division in the letter and in the major division in the letter he says okay, based on what I've told you what a Christian is what a Christian believes how a person comes to know the Lord Jesus based on that this is what you should do this is your response to it I want you to walk worthy of the calling that you've been called you've been called into Christ I want you to walk worthy of that calling and so when we get down in here at chapter uh, 4 and verse 11, it does appear that one of the things that the Apostle Paul wants to make clear to this church is that you ought to be pressing on to maturity, that you ought to be growing. Paul planted the church, but it's been some years since he was there. He's actually been arrested, and he's in prison in Rome, and he's writing back to them. And so you can almost begin to sense Yes, here's the solid doctrine. But now, I want you to move on. I want you to press on to maturity. So we take it up in verse 11, and uh, he's giving them fuel, if you will, how they can progress. And he, that is the Lord Jesus, gave, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, For the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God. Here it is now. To a mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, This indeed is the word of the Lord. Would you pray briefly with me right now that we would receive the word of the Lord and what he has to say to us? Lord, I'm yielding to you because of my my weakness, my fallibilities, and I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us now, teach us as we sit at your feet that we may know how we are to be in the household of faith. God, we depend upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're on to this topic about maturity. Uh, You see maybe on the screen, boom, maybe not. Okay, there we go. Um, I don't know what that one is, but anyway, we're back to maturity, and we're back to teleos, the next slide. And that might help us just a little bit. There we go. It's the Greek word that's being used here for mature. It also means complete or means perfect. It is that same form, at least, of the word that the Lord Jesus used on the cross when he was there hanging on the cross, and he said, It is finished. It's complete. So it's it's the same kind of word, it reaching that mature state. And right off the bat, I want to make something very clear, that the points that I'm going to make, and there are seven, And so we need to pedal right along here. But um, the points that I'm going to make are not necessarily saying we're moving from bad to good. That's not really a a clear understanding of maturity. Maturity, that, that is pressing on to fullness, to pressing on to full development. And so we may be moving from one state of Lesser development, underdevelopment, to a greater level of development. Maturity, pressing on in that fashion. So the points, I'm saying that right now so that you don't understand that that I'm I'm saying something's bad and this is good. No, I'm saying this is where we are and we need to press on, we need to press on further. The process of being fully grown, fully developed. That's really what maturity is and so take a look at first of all number one going through this passage and he gave he gave the apostles and prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints and so number one god has given gifts to the body now this is recorded in romans chapter 12 and 1 corinthians chapter 12 in first peter chapter 4 it's repeated again that God has equipped every member of his body with a gift for the common good of the body. In 1 Corinthians, he says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We need each other. We are interrelated. We're interdependent upon one another. Um, But in all of these passages, Romans, Corinthians, It's the Spirit alone, it's the Spirit only that gives gifts. But it's not only the Spirit who gives gifts, but it's the Spirit who sovereignly presides over the providential care of these gifts. In other words, he doesn't just give a gift and say, okay, be warm and fed, go on your way. He doesn't leave us alone. He is the indwelling spirit who providentially, sovereignly governs the use of the gifts. Again, still in 1 Corinthians, all these, in verse 11 of uh, chapter 12 there, all these, meaning gifts, are empowered by one and the same spirit. They're empowered by. He gives them and he continues to empower them. Now, here's my point on this, and, and this is what I intend to do during the course of this little mini-course about the church. I, Buzz, and talking to you. Okay? There's a part of that that's going on. I want to take this time in the life of our church to say some things to you. And one of the things that I want to say to you is, is that God gives gifts to the body. In this particular case, I think the Apostle Paul is listing out the leadership gifts in the body. And it would be well to in an exposition of this passage, to go through and to cite each one of these and to describe what they are. That's not my intention. What my intention would be is, is to, to bring home to your heart, to bring home to your mind. Actually, the word I really wanted to use was hammer. <laughs> not a very nice word, and so I thought, well, maybe I need to change it. But no, I'm still there. I'm a carpenter by trade, and I want to hammer something home. It is God who gives gifts to the body it is God who has promised that he will indeed build his church and it is God who gives leadership gifts to the church not every pastor not every minister has the same gifts often we know that in an individual church That there's a minister of worship or administration, there's a minister of teaching, or there's a minister to the children, there's a variety. In many churches, people recognize that different men have different gifts and therefore call to a different ministry in the church. 1 Corinthians, again, is very clear about that, that there are a variety of gifts, but there's also a variety of ministries. There's not only a variety of gifts and a variety of ministries, but there's a variety of effects, he says. There's a variety of outcomes. And so God has a great deal of variety in the giving of his gifts. And and just to be, hopefully, not self-grandizing, God has given me gifts. God has given me gifts of... Loving His Word and loving to teach His Word and to preach His Word, to come alongside Him, individuals or small groups, and to teach in that fashion. God has not particularly given me gifts of evangelism. God has not particularly given me gifts of administration. And so, in the life of our church, we are in a transitional period. And I want you to know that I am absolutely not only content but also convinced of what God has called me to do right now in this very moment in the next few weeks in the next couple of months whatever it is I'm absolutely convinced from the day that I first read Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10 to love the Lord and to love his word and teach it and to practice it wherever I go I'm very confident in that I'm grateful by God's grace he's made that very clear I'm not particularly gifted in inspiring people in administrative fashions to move forward in a vision. That's all there is to it. And I'm not saying that one's bad and the other's better. I'm just saying it's different. And I feel the need in, in, in teaching you what it looks like to mature as a church to embrace that. There's nothing wrong, there's nothing negative. There, I know it's so abnormal for a church to be going through a transition period when there's not a problem, but there's not a problem. God is on his throne. He's building his church, and he gives gifts to the body. We ought to rejoice in it. We really should. Now, I understand the interchange. I understand the emotions about it. And I'm not trying to be unemotive. In Acts chapter 19, the Apostle Paul went back to this very church to Ephesus he didn't quite actually go to Ephesus he he went to an island just off of the shore and the elders from Ephesus came out to meet him and and he preached into the night and they cried together this is the last time you're going to see my face but nobody thought that they were out of the will of the Lord nobody thought that the church was going to dissolve or break apart and, and I don't think that about this church But if we are going to mature, if we are going to be a maturing church, we need to recognize God is at work. In so many ways, if I started down that road, I'd leave some ministries out. So I wanted you to see that God has given gifts to the body and he still gives gifts to the body and tomorrow he'll give gifts to the body and continue until he returns as we were just singing and collects his own and we meet him in glory. God is fully there, number two. And I'm not going to take as much time with every one of these two, but I'm reading through the text here and I see here, as I've already read, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And I just give these and then I'm making application. Actually, it's a little different, isn't it? I'm not going to preach through the the exposition of the text and then make application at the end. I'm going to give you a point and then I'm going to make application right away. So here we see very clearly that equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. I grow, this church grows in maturity when I change from expecting others others to train other people to longing to be equipped myself I'm mature do you see where I, I want I want connection here folks today in fact I always do but I really this is important to me I hope it's important to you I want you to see we're not going from something that's bad to good we're moving on and so should I expect my pastors my elders to equip people I should I really should that's a responsibility we put it in a job description that's a good thing but i grow in my maturity when i stop thinking about whether other people are doing their job and training other people and saying oh i long i don't just want i long to be equipped myself i had a wrestling coach and this is what he said he said, there ain't no horse that can't be rode and ain't no rider can't be throwed. I like that? I like that. There ain't no horse that can't be rode, ain't no rider can't be throwed. You can say it either way you want to. What did he mean? He, he meant that there's always somebody up here and there's always somebody down here. There's always somebody that's pulling me up and there's always somebody I can pull up. Always. Always. I grow in my maturity when I stop expecting other people to do things, and I long for it to be equipped. I I look around, and we have, listen, I'm also not saying we don't have any of these things. In these points that I'm making, I'm not saying that we're all bad in all of these things. Again, I repeat that. We have many folks. I, I just rejoice. When maybe I'm reading you know, WhatsApp or something like that and, and, and brothers are picking up other brothers and helping them, this, sisters, I have a need for this or I've got this and they're picking up one and I don't have anything to do with it. I don't have anything to do with it. People all over the place. You know, being picked up and and longing to pick up. Man, brother, I'd love to spend some time with you. You know, we haven't met yet. I'd like us to meet and we could connect. You know, it's happening. And a maturing church sees that more and more and more of, of, of you. You know, I've done this for you through the years. Sometimes I just want you to... Look across the room. Look to the right. Look to the left. Look at that. Have you met that person? You connect. We're interconnected. And to have that relationship, oh, that's a maturing church. Number three. Number three. And it says, until, I like this, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. I, in the application to this, I'm camping on the word all. I'm camping on the word all. You see, because we in North America, in the North American scene of our church today, have grown to the place from the 70s right on up till today of individualizing the Christian church individualism in the Christian church. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now the problem for that kind of talk and that kind of language is it has a tendency tendency to diminish the wholeness, the wholeness of the church, the cohesive nature of the body of Christ, the fact that we are interdependent upon one another. And, And so Paul, in writing to these Ephesians, I think maybe (laughs) if our Bibles would do it, it ought to be bolded and underlined until we all attain. It's not going to be good enough until you attain. Until we all attain to the unity. Until we all attain to the unity of the Spirit. I grow in my maturity as My focus shifts from myself to the body. You you want to be a church. You want to be a church that's maturing and that that message goes out. You let a visitor come in and see, see. It's the same thing. I digress. I'll come back to that. I know I didn't finish the sentence. Drives my wife nuts. How does a child, Listen, how does a child grow in their security? How does a child best learn that mama and daddy love them? If you don't know the answer, I'm going to tell you. The way a child grows in their security and knows that mama and daddy love them is by watching mama and daddy love one another. It's by watching mama and daddy love one another. Now, you let, I'm going back now. You you invite a person in here, and you watch that person, not just see individuals sitting in a room, but you watch that person watch people loving one another. If you want to talk about one of, the Bible says one of the greatest tools of evangelism It's letting a lost world look at the way the brothers and sisters in Christ love, actively love one another. We all are together. We need an allness brought back to the church. If you want to grow in your maturity, you need to recognize that this all needs to be a oneness. I want you to see this video. Take a look at
1: this. In the 7th Cavalry... We've got a captain from the Ukraine, another from Puerto Rico. We've got Japanese, Chinese, blacks, Hispanics, Cherokee Indians, Jews and Gentiles, all Americans. Now here in the States, some men in this unit may experience discrimination because of race or creed. For you and me now, all that is gone. We're moving into the valley of the shadow of death, where you will watch the back of the man next to you as he will watch yours. And you won't care what color he is or by what name he calls God. They say we're leaving home. We're going to what home. Was always supposed to be. So let us understand the situation. We are going into battle against a tough and determined enemy. I can't promise you that I will bring you all home alive. But this, I swear. Before you and before Almighty God that when we go into battle, I will be the first to set foot on the field, and I will be the last to step off, and I will leave no one behind. Dead or alive, we will all come home. helping God now I don't
0: espouse to all the theology that's in that clip for sure but I do espouse to the spirit of it we let let us be clear we are in a battle and we all need to be in this battle together. And if we want to believe, and I believe this with my whole heart, it's not spin, spin is a negative thing, but I, I, I'm not looking at the glass half full. For this, I don't like that phrase. I am looking at the glass as if it is full of Bible. And I am telling you that, yes, we are in a transition period. But it is Bible that we need one another. We need all of us. We do not need to be the immature church of people who so typically think, that, oh, there must be something wrong, something going on, or there must be some kind of division, or there must be, oh, well, this is happening and that's happening, and to start letting the evil one take a hold of our minds and go down a negative path. That is not biblical. Listen, there isn't a person, if that clip is true, there isn't a person in this room that's getting out alive. Unless the Lord comes back, we're all going out. If you want a harsher strike on reality, today in the American church, whether it's a mega church or a small church, every pastor will tell you, every four to five years, I'm looking at almost an entirely new congregation. It's the world in which we live but the world in which we live has brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm looking around the room whom I love and love to work and stand right alongside of until Jesus comes back. I love it. I tell you, I love it. I'm thrilled to be in this room with you until we all attain to the unity of faith. Number four. So, as you read on down... So, there's a purpose clause here um, to the mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It should be preached, but not going to do it today. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves of the doctrine. So that we may no longer. There's an implication there. You see? You see? we may no longer be if i were to read verses 17 and following he's going to talk about he's going he's written to them about what it looks like to be a child he's going to he's going to say things of hardness of heart of alienation of callousness of greediness he's going to talk about what it looks like to be prideful and corrupt and deceitful desires and all the way down through this passage. That's what it looks like to be a child. And it doesn't look good when you're grown up and act like a child. So that we are no longer. I grow in my maturity when I see that unity is a means, not an end. Stay with me. I grow. Again, I'm not talking about bad to good. I'm growing. I'm growing. I'm growing. And I grow in my maturity when I see that unity, see, I've preached it differently, folks, when I see that unity is a means, not an end. Now, before I would have preached unity at being an end, I would have said, folks, we need to begin. We need to. We need to work together. We need to love together. We need to stay together. We need to be together. We need to be unified. The truth is, that is important. It's not a wrong thing to say. But in this particular text, unity is not the end. It's not like we all need to be together for some warm fuzzies. There's a so that in the text. We need to be unified so that so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the winds carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That's the negative side. <coughs> Excuse me. If we're not together, we open ourselves up to all myriad of evil thoughts and actions from the evil one. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. I grow in my maturity when I see that unity is a means, not an end. What are we going to do? Every coach in the land has said, guys, if we're not together, we're not going to win. But unity is not, it's not just so we can say there's a purpose in being unified. You have a purpose. We want to say that we have a purpose. But if we are going to mature, watch it now. I'm being very straight with you. If we're going to mature, we're going to call a man with gifts given by God that can bring us together in solidarity, in a unified vision to move ahead. We need that. We need that. Now, the reason I'm bringing that up to you right now is be careful what you ask for. And that's my way of saying you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity that perhaps if you've been sitting on the sideline in some way, perhaps you're taking the disposition of right now, wait and see kind of deal. Well, I'm praying, elders are working, that God brings us a person here who leads out into solidarity, clear vision. And then you need to step up. Every single one of you need to put your hand to the plow and not look back and charge the gates of hell because this community needs a clear presentation, proclamation of what the real gospel is because there's a lot of stuff going on taking people in the wrong direction so that we are no longer children. Number next. Where am I? Number five. If I get lost, I'll have to start again. Number five, to the measure of the fullness, it says in the text, to the measure of the fullness, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, this is a little deeper in theology. We're not there. I'm not there. But I long to be there every day. I grow in my maturity as I confess my need of jesus christ may i say of jesus christ and jesus christ alone the person i grow in my maturity as i confess my need of the person of jesus christ alone and my thoughts and affections incline more and more for him i grow in my maturity when's the last time you heard that preached i've never heard it preached I grow, how do I grow in my maturity? I grow in my maturity when I confess my need for Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. And my thoughts and my affections grow more and more inclined toward him, toward him. That's a hard thing for me, folks. That's a hard thing for me. I want God to change my heart about that. I want my thoughts and affections to grow more in love with Jesus, to to know him more, and to walk with him more, and to listen to him more. As the good shepherd, one of his sheep, who hears his voice and wants to follow him more, that's maturity. That really, if there's a heart to it all, that, that's a heart of it. I, I, I like the way Jonathan Edwards, I know it's a bit antiquated language, but I like the way Edwards puts it. So if the spirit that is at work among a people is plainly observed to work, um, my quote is wrong here, it's probably wrong there. Sorry. Uh, work and son is to convince them of Christ And lead them to him. And that he is the son of God. And was sent of God to save sinners. That he is the only savior. That they stand in great need of him. And if he seems to beget in them higher and more honorable thoughts of him. Than they used to have. And to incline their affections more to him. It is a sure sign that he is the true and right spirit. When you see a group of people whose inclination is to have more, to know more, to pursue more of Christ, you have a congregation that is maturing. And I, it's my fault, maybe. Which one of us have as a default answer to the question, what would you say is the most characteristic what's the key the number one characteristic of the life of your church which one of us would say we have a church with an inclination to growing more intimately related to Jesus Christ in in different words but no come on now this person right here is the guilty would that be my default answer A maturing congregation whose desire is to grow more in love with Jesus every day. And the reason that's not a default answer is right here. You haven't been taught that properly. That's number one. We want to grow into a mature church. I must press on to number six. So that we may no longer be children i grow in my maturity so no longer will we be children i grow in my maturity when i realize the joy of my progress okay i grow in my maturity when i realize the joy of my progress far exceeds the pain of remaining the way i am That's the only reason you'll change it's the only reason you'll mature If you want to reverse it and put the negative on it, I'm just okay the way that I am. I don't need to mature anymore because it's not that painful. It's the same thing that's true in the life of a church in progressing on. A church, an organization, will not progress onward until the, the pain of the progress... It's less than the pain of staying the way that you are. Most of the time, pastors across the nation will get plenty of comments referring to and putting into that category of the painfulness of staying the way that we are. But until that pain is exceeded by the joy that is realized in being used of God to reach lost people, to worship His holy name, to press on to maturity until that, that is so palatable upon your tongue that it tastes so sweet and that you envision that until that joy of having that great celebration of, of being in the presence of the Lord, enter into the joy of the Lord and pursue the joy of the Lord until that is like honey to your thoughts. It's okay. You know, these are comfortable seats. We got great music. You know what? I think I'd like to be like Peter Pan. I'd like to just stay the way I am. Finally, a maturing church. That's the last part of the text. Actually, the next few lines are all subordinate to that one thought that I just gave you. I'm not going to go over it. Only to say that the equipping, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When the body is building itself up in love, I grow in my maturity when I change from self-love to body love. When the body, didn't say when the hand, didn't say when the finger, didn't say when the nose or the eye, it said when the body itself, when the body is building itself up in love. That's a maturing church. When a body is coming alongside of. You know, I didn't ask for permission. Today we'll celebrate the ongoing of the Lopez family. That's a good thing to do. That's the body building itself up in love. Listen, I know the Lopez family well enough to say that if we were displaying words of character of immaturity immaturity that said think oh i don't know what we're going to do without you oh wow you guys are leaving such a big hole in the life of our church i don't know how we're ever going to fill that hole i tell you folks i know the lopez family enough to know that if you think that that's a compliment to them they would be hurt they would be hurt because they're mature Christians. God's taken them through pain of maturity. We wouldn't think that way at all, and we would not dishonor them that way because a mature person, when you dishonor God in that way, you dishonor them. When a body is building itself up in love, we are all united around what god is doing we pray we ask for unity we ask for the wisdom and we move ahead the best that we possibly can and with that we build ourselves up in love you see i hope you see that connection i hope you see that connection for a church to be almost 100 years old and not be maturing in these ways, in these seven ways, is an ugly thing. Anybody seen a 60-year-old guy who acts like a kid? Skinny jeans and golden, you know, hairdo doing things? Now, if you're 60 years old and you're doing all that kind of stuff, we can talk later. But you know what I mean. My kids, when they were teenagers, Dad, don't act cool. Dad, don't act cool. Because it just looks bad, Dad. Even teenagers recognize that when you're a certain age, you ought to act like it. Folks, we need to act like it. We need to act like blood bought people who have no rights and privileges of our own we belong to him we're a part of his building project and we say yay God you're doing it and and we are your people you lead we follow Lord this is my desire for this church That we grow in the maturity of your spirit. That somebody comes in and and looks at the way we act, even in the times in which we live, and say, wow, this is a different kind of a place. They don't talk the way normal churches do at times like this. They don't act the, the normal way that churches do at times like this. They actually are rejoicing, and they celebrate, and they love you and are inclined and growing more and more intimately related with you. God, this is a place where they build themselves up in love, that they really, really, really believe that you are building your church. I Pray that you'd give it to us in Jesus' name. Amen.